Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we are going to be starting Shmois Sheni, the second Aliyah in Pasha's Shmois. The topic of Aliyah is the infant in the Nile. It is 15 psukim long, running from Perik Aleph, Pasuk Yud, Tez to Perik Beis, Pasuk Yud. Let's take a look at what the contents of our Aliyah and then we'll take some basic points to ponder. So we hear the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, summons back the Hebrew midwives and he says to them, What's going on? You, you let the children live. So they explain, well, the Hebrew wives, are, the Hebrew women are different to the Egyptians, that they only call the midwife last minute, and then already they, by the time the midwife's coming in, the children are already born. So it's interesting that the Pharaoh accepted the excuse and and uh, and, bought, and established for them houses. They were very lucky to first have disobeyed the Pharaoh and have gotten away with it, royally. Um, um, and they they were they, and the, the nation of Israel continued to increase. So therefore, therefore Pharaoh, Pharaoh introduced the third level of his decree, which is all boys will be thrown into the river and all girls will live. Um, at this point in time, we hear in uh, the beginning of the new chapter, the new parak, we hear that there is a We hear a man from Levi comes to uh, and marries a woman from the house of Levi, and she becomes pregnant and has a child. She sees this child is special, she sees it's good, and she hides him for three months. Um, at a certain point, she can no longer hide him, so she makes for him a little ark. She, she, she makes it waterproof, puts it in the rivers, as, as is the decree of the Pharaoh, and lets the child um, float down the river. Um, at this point, her, the sister of this boy um, stands at the side in order to see what is going to happen. And the daughter of Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh herself comes down to the, the river she's going to be washing and she sees this um, this little ark in the reeds and she sends Atishlach es Amosa, basic understanding is she sends her maidservant, she gets it and she sees the boy. It's a little boy crying, she has mercy on it and realizing it's a Hebrew child and she's, uh, and uh, the, the, the sister of this child then says, I, should I go and call him a nekas, a midwife, a nurse, a nurse wife? <clears throat> and so all she, also she does, um, and that's and that's what happened. And then she she takes she 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 finds the midwife. The midwife happens to be the mother of the child, which is perfect, and and ultimately she is uh, she is um, nursed by here the child is nursed by his own mother, brought home to the pharaoh's palace. And given the name Moshe, because Min Hamayim Mishisio, she has pulled him from the water. So a lot of very interesting questions to contemplate over here is the first thing is, was the Egyptian plan successful, the program? I mean, this is the third step of the program. The first was backbreaking labor to stop reproduction. The second step of the program was to um, kill the children in childbirth. And the third was to throw them into the river. Was the program successful? And the answer is yes, actually. If you remember, the kior, which is the wash basin which is found in the Mishkan, was made of the mirrors found um, in the households of every Hebrew family. Why were mirrors, uh, which is really a sort of a private instrument used in such a pure, a pure place in the Mishkan for the the kior, for the wash basin? So Rashi famously quotes in in, in uh, later on, much later on, in Perik Lamed Chesin, in, in Pasha's Vayakel, where he says, uh, where he describes that the the reason is because people had given up hope. The men uh, were working so hard with such backbreaking labor, they uh, and and the children were being killed. They said, "There's there's nothing we can really do. What's the point of all of this?" And at this point in time, uh, the the wives would use the mirrors 
to beautify themselves and seduce their husbands to continuing children despite the fact that there were, there was so so little help hope as well so it does seem like there was it was succeeding were not for the ladies the women who made the, the decision to follow hope as well and in fact so that actually reflects who are who is this couple who is this Ish Levi, Ibi Beis Levi, who marries a woman from the house of Levi. So this is Amram and Yochevet, as you know. Um, and what is fascinating about this is, is in fact, that she, it, the, the reason why they got married, it seems that they were already married beforehand. How do you know? That is because there's already an older sister at this point in time. So why were they married before? And if they were married before, why are they remarrying? So the, the Gomorrah Basra goes on to, exp, to, to explain that they actually separated from each other because the Amram said, uh, and, and Yochavid had made came to a decision that there's no point in having children because in the end of the day they're going to be killed. Miriam, who is their daughter, said, that your decree is worse than the Pharaoh's because you are eradicating both the future children, both the boys and girls. But Pharaoh only wanted to kill the boys. She encourages them to, to get married and to have children even at the threat of losing their children. It's a remarkable decision. Being as they were communal leaders, when they got married, many other people got married again as well, following suit. So that's why this wedding is emphasized over here as well. Once again, you see that the, the place for hope is found not in the masculine logic, not in the male logic, but in the female logic. Before it was those the midwives who had the hope, then it was the wives who used the mirrors, and now it's Miriam who is utilizing the fact that hope, despite the fact that it looks very bleak as well. <clears throat> now, why would Basparo, why did the daughter of Pharaoh seek out a, um, a Hebrew to nurse the child? So it is interesting that there's a very fascinating halacha, which is um, which is, is discussed, and that is is can a, um, a a a Jewish child nurse from a non-Jewish mother? Is there is that is there a halachic concern as well? So the Shulchan Aruch actually says that really, technically speaking, there's no problem, but um, it, but it, it, it is preferable to avoid if if there's an alternative which is possible. So that being the case, why is this? Where does this come from? So the Vilna Gaon in his commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. Make the, makes the comment that this is based on um, a medrash in Aralia that that Moshe Rabbeinu refused to drink from the Egyptians from the, the Egyptian nurse, nurses and the reason was because a mouth which is future in the future going to speak word word to word mouth to mouth with the divine presence is not going to be having the the milk of a uh, 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 from a pagan um, Egyptian. That being the case, the, Vilnaga, the, the, the question we have to ask in this Vilnagar is that should not be the context for halacha. Why should the Shulchan Aruch be referencing this idea if that was a very specific case of the greatest prophet of all time? We can understand why. Perhaps you know he had to be more careful about what it was even in infancy and what he was drinking. But most of us are not going to be that. So why does that regulate the halacha for everybody? Says Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky in the MS Yaakov on Yoridea, on this topic, it says, when it comes to education, we treat every child as if they can become a Moshe Rabbeinu. So we look at them with the potential that this child, this child who I'm raising, can have the potential of being a Moshe Rabbeinu who will speak to the Shekhinah, to the Divine Presence, and I'm going to treat them with the highest of educational opportunities as well, which is fascinating, as a fascinating perspective to be appreciated in this case. Um, we move on to the next question is, why the name Moshe? What, 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 was, this, what was so special about the name of Moshe? Um, you'll notice 
Now, the names are a big theme in our in our in our, in our parasha. So first of all, we have that the Pharaoh, which is actually not his name. Pharaoh is a title. Shifra and Poor, not the real names, as Rashi tells us. Um, they don't have the names. And Moshe, we don't even know the name of his, the, the, the that his parents gave to this child. He had a, he's been around for three months. None of the names used in this first area here, in this first section, actually are the names that were initially given to the, to the child. So what would, let's, let's try to delve into this. What does the name mean over here? Why is it the name of this woman, um, of this Bas Parostik? And <clears throat> what were the other names he was given as well? So um, Rashi says that the, real, the, the name Moshe comes from the word um, Moshui, to that, he's, that he's, he's drawn out of the water. Um, and part of that could be for the experience of um, the reason why she possibly named him in, su- in such a way, in such a way, not just because this is the context of where she found him, but perhaps it's almost akin to her giving birth to him. It's a sort of pulling him from the from the birth water almost. That's her trying to adopt this child. The Ibn Ezra says maybe the, it's not a Hebrew word. Maybe it's an Egyptian word. After all, she was an Egyptian princess, and so she spoke the, the Egyptian. And see, and he he says Belashon Mitzrayim hu munius. Actually, it, his name was Munios. It was a, it was an Egyptian name altogether. Now that is fascinating because, um, and and then Siv goes in this direction as well. Is if you think about it, Siv says also it's a an Egyptian name. The name Ramassis is means to say child of Ra because the word for ch- child in ancient Egyptian is Massis, and doesn't it make sense because we call him Moses. Moses is Masis, which means child. Why would she call him Masis, child? Because she finds him in the river. She sees she finds a child. She calls him child. That could be a possibility. If that's the case, did he have any other names? The answer is yes. In fact, the Midrash Rabbah in Vayikra, uh, the very beginning, tells us that he had uh, many other names. Yered, Chaver, Yekusiel, Avigdor, Avisoichoi, Avizonoyach. There are many, many other names as well. And the, and the, and the marriage goes into to describe what each name means and who gave it to them. So why would it be that this name sticks out for her? Why would it be that this is the name that stays as well? So it's, it, what is interesting is, is it could be, as Ibn Ezra points out later on, where he asks the question, why would it be that at Kriyas Yamsuf, that none of the nation of Israel fought back. Why did nobody pick up a rock, a, a shield, and fight? Why, why didn't there, there were so many more of them, the Egyptian chariots, the few hundred chariots that chased them? And he says, because they were still slaves. And as a slave mentality, you cannot fight back. They were still slaves in their own minds. Therefore, it took somebody from the outside, perhaps, in order to be able to liberate this nation, this nation of Hebrews, it took one who was not considered and their own right by their own self as a slave coming from the outside to be able to save those who've considered themselves slaves as well. With this we close the second alley. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.